Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Fireworks at the Republican National Committee's spring meeting in Palm Beach. A controversial elections bill got an overhaul and lawmakers debated anti-riot legislation. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing today with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. But first... Get some numbers out here, uh, gentlemen. Uh, John, how about you? You got a number for us today? I do, uh, Zach. I'm getting a little liberal. Uh, I can still say that here in Tallahassee uh, with, with my, my use of decimal places this week. My number is five point one four. Five point one four. All right. As as George Bennett used to say, uh, decimal places are allowed. How about you, Antonio? Hey, you know what? I'm going to be conservative. I'm going uh, in light of the, uh, the GOP retreat this uh, this past weekend. So I'm going with just a simple seven. OK, I don't I don't know if my number has any partisan connotations here. I have an 18. Remember those numbers, folks. Write them down. We will tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, the first Republican National Committee meeting after former President Donald Trump was defeated and the GOP lost the Senate wasn't the moment of GOP introspection that some might expect. Instead, during a speech at his Mar-a-Lago estate in Palm Beach, Trump lashed out at Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, highlighting continued tensions in the GOP between the MAGA faithful and lawmakers such as McConnell, who rejected Trump's final effort to overturn the election and held him responsible for the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Yet even after Trump ripped McConnell, Florida Republicans were eager to rub elbows with the former president. Senator Rick Scott gave Trump an award and Governor Ron DeSantis spoke at the event and golfed with Trump later. Antonio, it still seems like Trump is uh, in the driver's seat when it comes to the direction of the GOP. Yeah, Zach, I mean, he, former President Trump seems to have uh, pretty much control of the Republican Party, especially here in Florida. That's for sure. Now, uh, but I'm not so sure what that means exactly, though, because it is far from certain what direction the former president wants to take the party. Let's go back five years. When Trump first got into that presidential race in 2015, he pulled the GOP far to the right on issues like immigration, trade and military strategy and this Trumpian populism brand. Okay, what about today? Well, it's really far from clear what the direction is and what that next chapter will be. Like you said, last week, Trump held court for this major GOP gathering in Palm Beach. He hosted donors and party leaders and operatives at Mar-a-Lago where he gave a speech. And, and of course, as you mentioned, from coverage and observations from those who were there, the speech was, again, a list of grievances against Republicans like Mitch McConnell and others that Trump simply doesn't believe have been loyal enough. And, you know, after that speech, there was the, you know, the 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 in, 
internal fighting and you had Liz Cheney again criticizing Trump's rhetoric and you had even Newt Gingrich saying, you know, we, we generally do better when the focus is on Democrats and not on Republican infighting. So, you know, and but that speech really wasn't that much different. Now, it wasn't broadcast live and it wasn't for the general public, but from all indications, it doesn't seem it was that much different than the speech that Trump gave at CPAC in February, which we all covered. And there he sounded, you know, some of the so-called greatest hits compilation of his rally speeches from the 2020 campaign and the administration achievements from his one term in office, again, coupled and, and interwoven with renewed claims of election fraud was still baseless and which have now been collectively dubbed the big lie. The central organizing theme for Trump and Republicans, of course, is election fraud. And you have seen the GOP majority states from Florida to Georgia to Arizona enacting legislation this spring. And look, there is no question this red meat is very tasty for the base and the Trump faithful. But the far right red meat has proven time and again to be very limited in appeal. The Trump political brand didn't play well in a host of 2017 special elections, including the election in Alabama to fill the seat that Jeff Sessions left to be attorney general. And then Trumpism got drubbed in the 2018 midterm elections, in which Republicans lost the U.S. House and a number of governorships. Zach, you know, we covered that election and his rallies and the president made that midterm election a referendum on his administration. And the result was not good when the voters had their say. Then Trump lost the presidency in 2020 and then Republicans lost the U.S. Senate, the U.S. Senate majority in January of this year by losing two runoff elections in Georgia. The response from Trump and the GOP has been to claim election fraud, which they have failed to prove. Now, the reality is that the, the election fraud big lie is simply denial of the obvious. The Trump brand's far right policies and rhetoric simply have not won over a majority of Americans. They've won over the base, but they have not brought in the base. They have not. It's not been a majority of, of the public. And while Trump and Republicans are pushing controversial election changes labeled voter suppression by critics, Trump's successor, President Biden, has pretty good voter approval ratings on his handling of the pandemic. You know, the economy continues to improve. And now the Biden administration is pursuing a major infrastructure overhaul on the heels of the stimulus uh, American Rescue Act. Now, regardless, yes, Trump remains popular among Republicans and extremely popular among the base in Florida, even as Trumpism has shown itself to be less popular and its appeal far less embraced by the general public. On top of that, Trump remains banned from social media, so he's still hamstrung when it comes to disseminating his message, which is also problematic. You know, the axiom in politics is if, if you are explaining, you ain't winning. With Trump, it's if you ain't tweeting, you ain't leading. So, Zach, yeah, you're right that Trump is firmly in control of the Republican Party's driver's seat, but it is far less certain and clear where he's driving the party and even less uh, sure and certain, you know, if he's able to get Republicans to where they want to be, which is the majority in Washington. And Antonio, you mentioned, you know, that the, uh, Trump's uh, brand did not win over in the, the 2020 election. He lost the presidency. Uh, Republicans lost the majority in the U.S. Senate and the guy who's responsible for trying to win back the uh, majority, uh, Rick Scott, who is um, leading uh, the uh, National Republican Senatorial Committee. You know, he's uh, you know, he's he's in a tough spot here. You know, he's he's trying to uh, navigate. Uh, you know, he's he's working with McConnell uh, to try and get candidates who can appeal uh, to a broad enough a group of voters to um, to win in some of these states. 
states, and yet he's also trying to placate uh, Trump. And and he get, a lot of people noted, uh, you know, kind of how um, how awkward it was that he, that he gave Trump this award uh, right after this um, RNC meeting, um, right after Trump had ripped Mitch McConnell, and and that basically uh, that 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 Scott has kind of just in this really uh, uh, untenuous situation. I mean, how awkward is this for Rick Scott? You know, it is awkward, but if you really take take a step back, it really shouldn't be because if there's somebody who should be able to straddle this divide, uh, it should be somebody like Rick Scott. Why? Because Rick Scott is not a, a legacy establishment Republican. He was He came out of the Tea Party movement in 2010 when he won the governor's race in Florida against a Republican establishment uh, figure who was Bill McCollum, uh, the, the attorney general at the time. And then, you know, Scott also didn't come from a political background. He was a, a businessman, the CEO of a, of a company. So, you know, if there's somebody who should be able to kind of straddle that divide, it's him because he, he, he kind of he was playing the Trump game before Trump even showed up. So, you know, the fact that it, it, it that even he is, seems to be at least outwardly struggling to do to, to straddle that divide and to basically, you know, be able to bring, you know, the, the Tea Party and the not so Trumpian base alongside the Trump base to create more of a consensus that he is struggling to do that really does tell you that this is this is this is really problematic and it's a very difficult challenge. Yeah. And it's tough when Trump demands absolute loyalty. But in order to have a broad enough appeal in some of these states, there, there, some people might have to show a little bit of of independence here. So, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Scott navigates that uh, going into the midterms. Well, Trump's influence over the GOP is evident in his efforts across the country to put new restrictions on voting, something that really sprang out of the president's insistence without evidence that there was massive voter fraud last year. In Florida, GOP lawmakers have discussed banning mail ballot drop boxes and making other changes to vote by mail, which was used much more heavily by Democrats than Republicans in the 2020 election cycle. The mail ballot drop box ban was stripped out of a Senate bill uh, on Tuesday, but in its place, another controversial new election rule was inserted. Tell us about it, John. Yeah, the uh, Senate this week introduced a new uh, signature requirement for voters where a pen and paper signature made within the past four years would have to be on file for voters uh, to cast their ballots. Uh, now, a, a, an unknown number of Floridians, probably in the millions, maybe don't have a pen and paper signature on file since the motor voter law went into effect in 1993. A lot of people have registered to vote at the state's Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicle offices using an electronic signature. Uh, um, at least in in more recent years, uh, you, you know a you know a stylus on a tablet. So a anyone like that, arguably could go to vote and find that they were uh, disqualified. Uh, the, this legislation sponsored by uh, Senator Dennis Baxley, an Ocala Republican, uh, it didn't get a vote this week when it went before the Senate Rules Committee. Uh, for a while, it looked like he was uh, softening the bill and moving it more in line with what the uh, what the House has, which um, he indeed is, is moving it to where it does allow 
ballot drop boxes at early voting sites, and it does allow for vote-by-mail requests from the last election to still be honored uh, next year, uh, although that will change after next year to require that voters ask for a new mail ballot before every general election. Uh, No longer will there be a two-election standard for distributing these mail ballots, which is something that also uh, is uh, somewhat controversial, but looks like uh, that's the direction uh, the Republican leaders are are heading right now with these changes. So, So, John, John, bottom line is the bill was watered down a little bit and some controversial provisions were taken out, but then more controversial provisions were added back in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, although Republicans, senators tend to vote in lockstep, uh, one on the committee, Jeff Brandis of St. Petersburg, he raised alarms about the signature match, pointing out that a lot of voters in his district are seniors who who certainly don't want to go through the hassle of having to go back to the elections office to uh, update their signature on file. But, uh, you know, these election bills are wildly controversial. You've seen hundreds of them sponsored by Republicans in 47 states now, all aimed at some level of voter restriction. And of course, in Georgia, the new law, which uh, is seen just like Florida's law, is aimed at tamping down black voting strength. Uh, That led Major League Baseball to pull the All-Star game out of Atlanta as a a form of protest. And uh, now we're seeing, you know, progressive groups and civil rights organizations, they're trying to get big corporate interests in this state to call for Republicans to drop the voting changes they want. Uh, Governor DeSantis, of course, joined what has become a Republican mantra right now for businesses to not get involved in this. Uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader, said that businesses need to stay in their lane, although uh, that lane also still seems to include pumping a lot of money into campaign contributions for politicians. But uh, this legislation is certain to get somewhat repaired in this session's closing weeks here, and uh, it's going to pass. Uh, then we'll see what the courts say about it, because it's certain to be challenged under uh, the nation's voting rights laws and uh, and possibly, you know, free speech issues, too. John, another uh, interesting change that was made to this bill in the Senate was an amendment that was put forward by a Democrat that would make it um, harder to run as a a third party candidate. Uh, This was in response to the controversy uh, that we've that we saw in the last election cycle, where there was three really close um, state senate races, and um, these third party candidates ran, and and uh, it, it looks like um, you know there was an uh, effort here, possibly a coordinated effort, uh, to get these candidates on the ballot uh, to siphon votes away from uh, the Democrats. Basically, these candidates were, were got on the ballot and then there was a lot of advertising that came from a shadowy pack and, um, you know, touting these candidates as, you know, having sort of liberal views. And, um, you know, at least uh, one of these elections um, down in uh, South Florida, there's there's been um, a law enforcement investigation and an actual indictment of a former state senator for allegedly paying one of these candidates uh, to run. Uh, 
Tell us about this, John. This is a pretty interesting issue that's really blown up and 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 gone on to encompass a lot of other things. Pulled in some of this controversy surrounding Matt Gates uh, and and other players in Florida. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's something where uh, you know it, it's funny for all the uh, Republican warnings about voter fraud. Uh, this may be the only thing that goes at something like voter fraud in the uh, in the bill, where um, this would require anybody that's going to be put on the ballot as a no party affiliated candidate that that person be a no party affiliated candidate or, or uh, actually be registered as a NPA for at least a year before the candidate's qualifying date. So that would, uh, uh, you know, eliminate it's seen the idea that you could just go out and find somebody and say, hey, you want to run as a no party candidate in this race just to uh, kind of muck up and confuse the voters. Um, it, you, you can't get somebody that easily as a what it seems to be alleged right now against uh, uh, former state Senator Frank Artilles, who is under fire in Miami for getting a uh, same name candidate as uh, as the Democratic uh, state senator to uh, appear as a no party candidate on that ballot. And in the end, the uh, incumbent Democratic senator lost uh, his race uh, with the uh, no party affiliated candidate flaking off, uh, you know, some needed ballots. Uh, you also saw a similar uh, charge coming out of Central Florida, where there's a, a new state senator, uh, uh, Broder, in that Central Florida district, there was a, a no party affiliated candidate as well. Uh, so you, you're seeing that as sort of a dirty tricks kind of trend that uh, has been happening. And uh, this is one of the few opportunities for a Democrat to actually get a uh, amendment passed in the uh, legislature where this uh, Democratic sponsored amendment also got embraced by Republicans because I guess they fear it could happen to them, even though they have been the ones that uh, did it most recently. Yeah. And there's been enough heat surrounding this issue. And, um, you know, it seems to be an embarrassment for um, the, the Republicans right now. And uh, so if this election bill does continue to advance, uh, this may be uh, one aspect of it uh, that does, um, you know, actually address uh, a, a known instance of uh, alleged uh, voter fraud here. Antonio, this this bill, John mentioned it, you know, it's it's gotten, um, you know, we've seen around the country that uh, these uh, major corporations have there, there's been a lot of pressure on them to speak out, especially in Georgia, where where the, the Major League Baseball moved the all star game uh, in protest of an elections bill there that was seen as potentially disenfranchising uh, black voters. Um, you know, I don't it's it's uh, one of those issues potentially that could come up here here in Florida with this bill as well. You know, uh, corporate America has been, um, you know, kind of getting involved in a number of these issues. We're also seeing it with the um, with the, this uh, transgender athlete legislation where the NCAA is uh, stepping in and saying we're not going to host championships in states that we perceive as uh, being biased against uh, transgender individuals. There's a, a transgender athlete bill uh, moving in the, the Florida legislature. What are your thoughts on this? Are Florida lawmakers playing with fire here when it comes to the state's economy by advancing some of this legislation? You know, that, that's a really good question, Zach. And I, you know, I've, I, but, what, but what my sources are telling me and I'm hearing from people I'm talking to is not right now, no. And there are a number of reasons why. <clears throat> One is that as problematic as, as these election quote unquote reforms are and the transgender bill uh, is, I mean, 
they simply haven't drawn the same level of opposition and national scorn as the Georgia leg- legislation has. That's not to say they haven't drawn attention. You know, you guys have been speaking about what's been going on. And we can also add that anti-protest bill to that list, you know, that has sparked protests here in Florida. But some of the reasons why Florida is not under the microscope like Georgia is that, you know, number one, we, we don't have a leader like Georgia Stacey Abrams. Uh, in addition, the state's two senators, Rubio and Scott, you know, they're Republicans and they've been compliant to the Trump line and they haven't really come out to criticize any of this. They've, they've been supportive of it. And we don't um, also have a lot of the big multinational corporations like Coca-Cola and some of these do- other ones that have That's to, another one. Uh, yeah, uh, we we don't. And the ones that we have, by the way, I'll speak to in a second. But a couple other things, you know, Georgia has also become kind of like this purple state while Florida is still a solid red state. But then the issue you just raised that. We don't have these major corporations. The ones that we do have, the major businesses, tend to be, for example, the theme parks, the cruise lines. Um, And those businesses have a bigger issue to deal with right now, and that's the executive order from Governor Ron DeSantis prohibiting them from requiring their customers to show proof of vaccination. And then on top of that, you know, you've got, in the case of the cruise lines, they're supporting the governor's lawsuit against the CDC, the lift the, the uh, conditional sale order. You've got Rubio and Scott have also now filed legislation to do the same. So I think most of these businesses are going to be very careful to come out and angering either DeSantis, Rubio, or Scott. That's what I'm hearing from people that I'm talking to that, you know, right now for a lot of the major businesses in Florida, the issue is the pandemic getting themselves up to as near 100% or return to normalcy as they can, as soon as they can, or whatever that normalcy looks like. Even with the COVID lawsuit protections, the legislature just approved and the governor has signed into law. It's still the biggest issue on their plate. They're, they're not going to get out there like a, like a major league baseball, get in front of the, of the train here. Uh, now, the danger I am hearing from a couple of people who've pointed this out is something that you guys just alluded to. And that is, you know, the, the Matt Gates situation. As you guys talked about the Pensacola, you know, Republican firebrand is rep- not only is it reportedly the subject of this investigation by federal authorities, you know, about, shall we say, his dating and social life. But now there are also these questions about the role that these sham candidates played in Florida legislative races last fall. And, and these questions are being raised about a certain role that political action committees may have played in perhaps funding those candidates, which be, which would be illegal. And that is kind of the realm that you're starting to hear the name of Congressman Gates come up. So far, as you guys noted, the only allegations of wrongful conduct have come up in Miami-Dade were the former Republican state Senator Artiles and a Boca Raton resident named Alex Rodriguez have been charged in a case in which Rodriguez ran as a shill candidate allegedly backed by Artiles and, in fact, helped defeat the incumbent Senate Democrat in that race. But if Gates is linked to any of these other fake candidates and these PACs, that would be a major problem for state and national Republicans because Gates is such a a well-known name, because he's such a player in the state. Now, of course, yes, this is all speculation, and we have to see what happens. There may be nothing to any of this, but there is a danger for the GOP in terms of – putting a spotlight on and and putting more pressure on these corporations and others in the political realm. What my sources are telling me is it would come from from this, from the question of the sham candidates and their role in, in the election last year.
Yeah, that does seem like an explosive issue that has uh, potential to have a lot more fallout uh, than it's already had. And I I do agree. I think there's a a less pressure in Florida um, from the corporate level against um, some of these bills. There's just less corporate activism here. But I do wonder about the NCAA coming out. I mean, Florida does have a lot of sporting events. And uh, if the NCAA takes a firm line against something like this transgender sports issue, uh, I wonder if that could have an impact. Well, the election reform bill is one of the governor's top priorities. Another DeSantis priority also uh, was debated in the legislature this week and I believe is up for a vote today. The governor is pushing a so-called anti-riot bill in response to the Black Lives Matter protests last summer after the death of George Floyd. But critics say the bill would crack down on peaceful protests. John, uh, where does this bill stand right now? Yeah, well, this bill is uh, we're recording this uh, podcast on Thursday and it's uh, set to go to the uh, the full Senate probably for final passage tonight. And uh, so it's soon going to land on the governor's desk. Uh, the governor. And there's really no question. I mean, this is this is probably going to pass. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Republicans are united uh, on this bill. Um, the Democrats who are outnumbered uh, have been opposing it all along, just as they were in the House. But uh, there doesn't seem to be any chance of uh sidetracking it right now. Uh, You know, this goes back to when DeSantis proposed the idea last September, soon after the Black Lives Matter protests, and it, it creates tougher penalties for protests that turn violent, creates new crimes and penalties, and uh, makes it harder for cities to reduce police budgets. Uh, There have been uh, hours of debate about the what-ifs of this bill, how people can be subject to uh, serious criminal penalties just by attending an event where a couple of people go out of control, Um, you know, how it invites police to overreact uh, maybe more so to minority protesters than white protesters. Uh, you know, what's considered a w- riot, uh, kind of ill-defined in the bill. Why, why cities can't decide their own policies when it comes to how much money they want to steer into law enforcement. Uh, it's been maybe the most divisive bill of a very divisive legislative session, but Republicans have locked arms in support of it and Democrats uh, have opposed it, but they don't have the numbers to uh, stop it. So, uh, you know, this legislation too is headed for a court fight. Uh, it's been argued that it's a violation of uh, free speech. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if a court agrees and steps into this, but uh, th- th- this legislation is going to happen and uh, DeSantis is eager to sign it. Yeah. So looks like a done deal, but uh, probably will be tested in front of this uh, Supreme Court over some of these free speech uh, constitutional issues. So definitely something that we'll be following for a while to come. We'll move on to our numbers here. Antonio, you had a seven. Tell us about that. Yes, gentlemen, seven. That is a number that stands for the number of justices on the Florida Supreme Court. Now, we don't talk very often about the third branch of Florida's government, but it does play a very important role in Florida politics and governance. The the Supreme Court weighs in on some of the most critical issues in in state government and society, things like school vouchers and the debt penalty. It weighs in on constitutional amendments before they can appear on the ballot. And soon we have to decide some of the key issues that we've been talking about, like the elections legislation and the anti-protest bill. So... But this month, on April 7th, to be sure, the justices heard a, well, more unusual case, a more atypical case. That would be Haver versus the city of West Palm Beach. 
It's basically, as reported by Tony Doris of the Palm Beach Post, a dispute between neighbors over yard decorations, including lots of flags, a stuffed Betty bear, teddy bear, and even a singing Santa Claus described in legal lease as a quote unquote sound emitting Christmas decoration. Now, you may ask, why did this end up before the Supreme Court? Well, because the Haver sued the city of West Palm Beach for not enforcing its codes, not so much about the yard decorations, but by then alleging that the neighbor, the offending neighbor with the yard display was also running an, an unauthorized nursing home with two residents who, quote unquote, sat on the porch smoking cigarettes and talking loudly in Spanish. <laughs> so, yes, at the end of the day, what the seven justices of the Supreme Court will have to decide really does come down to a dispute, a feud between neighbors. Now, before you scoff at this and say, what a waste of time and, and call this a frivolous distraction for Florida's high court. Let me just say that what is unusual isn't that this case ended up before the Florida Supreme Court. Rather, I would argue that what is surprising is that more of these cases like it haven't ended up before the seven justices in the past. Look, you can't go to a neighborhood in Florida where there hasn't been some dispute between neighbors or between homeowners in a homeowner association or between condo dwellers in a condo association. These disputes are commonplace and sometimes they get pretty ugly. So I guess you can say it is a testament to Florida's dispute resolution mechanisms that you don't see more neighborly feuds being refereed more often by those Florida those seven Florida Supreme Court justices. Yeah, it's not not sure if that's the most uh, important legal issue out there, but it certainly makes for <laughs> for a good story. And uh, you guys did a good job uh, telling that. I think we ran the your story on uh, the front page of our paper over here too. It was a really interesting. Um, John, uh, you not three point one four. You're not you're not this. You're not going to tell us about pi. It's five point one four. No, no, five point one four, and that's millions of dollars, and that's what Governor Ron DeSantis raised for his political spending committee in the month of March alone. Uh, the aptly named Friends of Ron DeSantis raised far more in March than either the state's Republican or Democratic parties did for the entire first quarter of 2021. And, uh, you know, it's also 34 times, I did the math, 34 times what one of his likely reelection rivals, Democrat Nikki Freed, uh, the state's Democratic Democratic uh, Agriculture Commissioner, that, that's what she raised in March. So she, she's far eclipsed by uh, uh, DeSantis's fundraising right now. So when, when the legislature is in session, members of the House and Senate by rule are not supposed to raise money or that, that's designed to tamp down the appearance that they actually advance legislation based on campaign contributions. Shocking, even though we know that that's very often true. But the, uh, the governor doesn't have that fundraising ban. So he's been going great guns and helped by a recovering economy, which helps even big donors, uh, individuals and corporations feel a little bit better about cutting checks. The, uh, the, the monies come from some you know familiar Florida sources, Associated Industries, the big industry lobby, uh, JM Family Enterprises, the car dealers, uh, First Coast Energy in Jacksonville, they're, they're all among the donors. And of, of, of course, his, his fundraising has probably been helped by being in the news some nationwide. Uh, 
March, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, remember, he had a February appearance at the Conservative Political Action Conference where he was uh, helped by a member survey that showed him a presidential favorite in uh, 2024. And uh, since then, he's been battling with 60 Minutes and YouTube, the kinds of uh, high-profile conservative fights that earn him some cred on Fox News. So something tells me the money will keep flowing his way. Uh, in, in March alone, he almost doubled his year-to-date fundraising, which now totals more than $9 million. So for a guy who's not yet officially running for re-election, it sure looks like he's ready to do so. He's uh, at least got the bankroll for it. All right. Ron DeSantis rolling in the dole as he rolls towards re-election. My number is 18, as in it was 18 years ago that Miami Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart was first elected. The death of Florida Congressman Alcee Hastings, who served for 28 years and was the most senior member of Florida's congressional delegation, uh, got me thinking about who the most senior Florida member is now, and that is Diaz-Balart, a Republican who was first elected in 2003. After Diaz-Balart, it's Democrat Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who has served for 16 years, and after that, it's a tie for third place between Vern Buchanan, Gus Bilirakis, and Kathy Castor, all of whom who uh, have served for 15 years after first being elected in 2006. Why am I talking about this? Well, Congress is a very seniority-driven institution, and longevity can be really important for things such as um, securing committee chairmanships, which is why Buchanan may have a chance at chairing the powerful House Ways and Means Committee. Buchanan uh, uh, is is uh, vying for that post. The Republican ranking member on the committee, Kevin Brady, recently announced that he is retiring. California Congressman Devin Nunez is next in line in terms of seniority on the committee among Republicans. But Buchanan is right behind him. And uh, chairing committees is not strictly based on seniority, although it helps a whole lot. Um, so it's possible Buchanan could leapfrog Nunez to become the chair if Republicans take back control of the House. And that would make Buchanan the first Floridian to chair Ways and Means in 26 years. And probably it would also make him the most powerful Floridian in Congress, considering that Ways and Means oversees everything from taxes to Medicare and Social Security. Uh, Buchanan's aide did tell me that he's going to compete for the chairmanship, but it's no sure bet. Nunez is a pretty prominent member of Congress, and Republicans very well could find themselves in the minority again after the 2022 midterm election. Well, that wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. Stay safe. We're out of here.